0: Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and today is Thursday, March 19th, and I'm in my podcast bunker back in Brooklyn. It's another day during the coronavirus pandemic. A lot of NBA players announced today that they had tested positive for the virus. So, just want to give our best wishes from the podcast to them, as well as Sean Payton, the head coach of the new orleans saints and anyone else who's been uh affected by this virus either directly or indirectly want to give our best wishes to them and really commend the people with platforms who have been affected by the virus to on how they've used their platform to really spread the message on social distancing and washing your hands and if you feel sick stay home and Try to Limit Your Trips Outdoors and all the other things that the top, top health professionals say to do to combat the coronavirus and help slow the spread and flatten the curve. Uh, I really commend them for using their platforms to really get that message out. So I don't want to talk too much about the virus. I want to focus and have this podcast be an escape for people away from the news going on and and the pandemic and just an escape for just uh for just a little bit out a time in people's days so uh i've got a really interesting guest for you guys today aaron toomey joined me on on the podcast he's the interim head men's basketball coach at amherst college amherst for the last 42 seasons has been coached by dave hickson who is a legend at the Division three level. He's won hundreds and hundreds of basketball games, na- national championships, made a ton of Final Fours, won a bunch of conference championships, coached a ton of great players, including Coach Toomey, who might be the best player in the history of the NESCAC, and we kind of get into his playing career, his transition to coaching, and uh, disclo- I, full disclosure, I competed against Coach Toomey during my time at Wesleyan. While Coach Toomey was an assistant, and this past season when Coach Toomey was a head coach, so we kind of talk about that and any names. It's like I did with Coach Ab, Any names we talk about? Uh, those are all guys who either played with that Amherst. Or I played with that Wesley, and uh, I think it's a really interesting in- interview. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to start the music, and when we come back, is my interview with Coach uh, Aaron Toomey.
1: Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, Aaron Toomey. Aaron is the interim head men's basketball coach at Amherst College in Massachusetts. He also played his college ball at Amherst, graduating in 2014, and cemented himself as one of the best players in school and NESCAC history. As a player, Coach Toomey won 108 games, three NESCAC championships, and made four NCAA tournaments, including the 2011 Elite Eight, the 2012 Sweet 16, the 2014 Final Four and won the 2013 National Championship. Coach Toomey finished his playing career as the program's all-time leading scorer and the only player with over 2,000 career points. His accolades include NESCAC Rookie of the Year, three-time first-team all Nescaq, and a two-time Nescaq Player of the Year, a two-time D3 Hoops First-team All-American, as well as being named the NABC Division III Player of the Year in 2013 and D3Hoops.com National Player of the Year in 2014. An injury sadly ended his professional career in Spain, and he returned to his alma mater to coach midway through the 2014-2015 season, and has been at Amherst ever since. I am thrilled that he is taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going?
2: Good, David. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Coach, obviously, as we talked about just a little bit in the what we were talking about before we started recording, what we're going through as a society right now is unprecedented. Amherst, like almost every school in the country, has closed for the rest of the semester. There is obviously no page in the coaching playbook on how to handle a global pandemic. What have you been doing to help your players or with your own professional development during this crazy time? Uh, Trying to, trying to move on as much as we can, you know,
2: uh, being quarantined kind of at home and stuff. uh, You know, it's kind of, it's different for everybody, but um, we've tried to try to keep up with our recruiting uh, both for this, this coming year and moving forward for the class of 2021, as much as we can via phone calls and emails and everything we can do online. Um, And then for our guys, you know, season ended not long ago, so we're still trying to wrap up uh, some individual meetings and season-ending meetings with those guys. So uh, trying to transition from, you know, doing that in person, which we usually do, to doing it uh, over video chat and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're trying to roll with the punches as best we can here and uh, continue to do as much as we can from home.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess everyone's going to get used to video conferences right now. Uh, So you grew up in North Carolina when did basketball really become a passion for you?
2: Um when I was very young. Um you know I was passionate about any and all sports when I was really young. Um my brother's a year older than me and he was the same way and um I was always basically playing just trying to keep up uh, with him, you know, he was a year older and you know when you're young a year means a lot in terms of, you know, size, strength, all that kind of stuff. So um, I spent my whole, you know, young years trying to keep up with him and his friends. Um, in any sport, and basketball was certainly one of them. And uh, my dad had a passion for basketball and uh, coached us for a while. So uh, I think that that helped uh, my brother and I kind of kind of develop a love for the game, and um, you know, continue to play obviously throughout my throughout my uh, young young years. And then you know when I got to high school, it was between soccer and basketball, and I felt like it was time to make a decision. And um, you know, it was probably It was one of the tougher decisions I had to make um, because I thought I was, you know, equally good at both. And then, you know, I think I just enjoyed basketball a little bit more and decided to to go that route after my freshman year of high school.
1: Gotcha. So what was your recruiting process like being from the South? And when did you first learn about Amherst College?
2: Um, I think the recruiting process was interesting as, you know, I continue to, to see uh, everyone goes through a different kind of process um, in terms of recruiting, but um, a lot of my recruiting was from, you know, low D1s and D2s uh, down south, uh, and that was kind of how, how my recruiting started and what I thought my recruiting was going to be like throughout the whole process, and then, um, you know, eventually a lot of D3s started to, to come around, whether it was schools in the ODAC down in Virginia, North Carolina area, um, and then a couple of NESCAC schools, and I didn't know anything really at all about the NESCAC or the schools up here. Um, but in the end, you know, when it got down to, you know, a low one or a preferred walk-on versus a place like Amherst and, um, you know, the more I read up on it and the more I talked to people about Amherst, it was just, uh, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up um, for the same reasons that, you know, almost any kid goes to a NESCAC school, just the level of basketball combined with the the academic piece of it was, you know, something I couldn't pass up and, I knew that uh, when it got down towards the end, so it was a fairly easy decision to pick Amherst in the end.
1: Gotcha. So you arrive in Amherst, Massachusetts in August or September of 2010. For many freshmen, this is a tough time, and I know from my own personal experience, you try to improve yourself while also trying not to get in the way of the other guys on the team. <laughs> was there a moment during fall workouts when you felt like you established yourself as one of the top guys on the team?
2: Um. Uh... It was interesting because my first, you know, the first fall workout um, with the guys that I remember, you know, I had the, that same mindset trying to prove myself that, you know, I belong not just like as a as a piece of the team that would play, but uh, just as a guy that would be on the team. Um, and I think that's a lot of, you know, freshmen when they come in, that's their mindset is just trying to prove that they belong on the team. Um, and the first uh, workout I had with the team, uh, soft four at the time, so you're older than me. Allen williamson uh, i got switched on him six four crazy athlete um and he spun baseline on me in the post and just rose up on me and hammered a dunk on me so <laughs> that was kind of my my introduction to to the team and it was an interesting introduction because it was obviously not a great one um, but then you know a couple of plays later I, I i think i strung like two or three threes uh, in a row. And, you know, I started to get my feet under me and feel comfortable. And, uh-huh. um, you know, from there on out, it was kind of, you know, just play basketball and see see where see where everything falls. But uh, the, the initial introduction for me was not a pretty one, but uh, <laughs> thankfully bounced back pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, for sure. So for the listeners who don't know, Amherst is one of the most prestigious liberal arts colleges in the country. It's always ranked in the top 10 in every college ranking poll what was it like for you to try to balance academics and basketball at a school like Amherst?
2: Um, it was tough. Uh, I think just as almost anyone would say, um, it was tough for me. I mean, coming in, uh, I was a very good student in the classroom. I didn't have the best test scores, but um, you know, when I got to Amherst, you know, just like anybody that you know had hardly ever gotten anything other than an A. Uh, in high school, you know, I felt like it was just going to be the same thing, same type of thing. Yeah. Um, And then you come in and uh, it's a little different and they expect a lot more out of you. And, um, you know, the first semester was, you know, kind of hits you hard sometimes uh, in terms of expectations because you don't know what to expect uh, in the classroom. So, um, you know, there was an adjustment period for sure. But uh, after one semester, maybe two semesters, you know, you kind of get your feet wet and you you understand what it takes and what the professors are looking for at a place like Amherst and what you have to do to be successful in the classroom so um you kind of get used to that as you go and then basketball obviously you know you spend a lot of time uh with your teammates uh with your you know down in the jam whatever but um i think for me and i think for a lot of people out there you know it's for me it was easier once the season started up and you know you had set practice times and you had set times where if you didn't get your work done in this three hour stretch, then you weren't getting it done. So there was no time to be wasted once the season started. So I think, you know, my first year at Amherst, you know, really helped once the season got going uh, just because my schedule was more set and I didn't really have, you know, that extra two or three hours where I could push work off. Um, You know, if you didn't get it done, you you just didn't get it done. So um, I think once the season started, that actually helped me um, kind of balance both.
1: Yeah, my parents were very happy once the season started with for for my GPA as well. But <laughs> but so for the team, your freshman year advanced all the way to the Elite Eight before falling to arch rival Williams. What was it like to go on such a deep State tournament run as a freshman?
2: It was fun. Um, I mean, I think you know it was that was kind of the expectation uh, when I chose Amherst was to to be a part of a, a team and a program that uh, would compete nationally every year. Um, And thankfully we were able to do that and coming in, you know, I didn't know exactly what that would mean in terms of competing nationally. Um, The year before they didn't make the NCAA tournament was the first time in a while they didn't. So didn't really know what to expect. But um, I knew, you know, obviously throughout the year that we had a really good team. So, um, you know, I knew that was possible to go on a run like that and um you know it was it was pretty cool to get that experience uh my freshman year of of making a a deep run in the tournament and uh, getting used to you know what tournament games were like and what it took to to win some tournament games and um i think obviously that season didn't end you know with a win only one only one team and one coach is really happy in the end but (laughs) um you know i think that the experience of that was really beneficial for us.
1: Yeah. So you come back as a sophomore and make first team all NESCAC. Was there a moment that you remember either during your freshman season or during your sophomore campaign where you knew that you could dominate in the NESCAC?
2: Um, I don't think there was ever really in my four years a moment that I thought I could dominate in the league. I think the league is uh, too good to kind of have that expectation. Um, But there was, you know, I think my first game against Williams, my first year, um I think I scored like twenty three points or something like that, and uh, I think that was a moment where you know I think it clicked in my head that you know i could I could be really good in this league and have a lot of success um you know Williams was obviously we ended up losing to him in the elite eight um so they were a really good team my freshman year and um to go out there as a as a freshman and you know score over twenty points against them, I think you know open my eyes a little bit to the fact that you know I could be really successful at this level
1: gotcha so. Your junior year at Amherst was one to remember. When did you know that this group could really do something special?
2: Uh, I think it took a while. I think before the season, I thought I think everyone on our team thought that we could do that and have that kind of success. And then, you know, early in the season, we did not play well. Early in the season, um, even the games that we won, but then when we eventually lost two two games in a row that you know we didn't think we should have lost um, at the time. and We were frustrated, and we. Didn't, have answers and you know we went into the next couple practices just trying to you know do everything that we could to to get over that hump and it just seemed like the more we tried the worse it got so uh it was a frustrating you know first month month and a half worth that year um, then eventually, you know, our, our three seniors sat down with coach, all the coaches and kind of had a discussion about what they thought was going on and what needed to be fixed. Then it got to the point where, you know, it kind of boiled over a little bit and they were going back and forth a little bit between the, the uh, three seniors and the coaches. Um, uh, but in the end it was great for us. They, the three seniors then came down, we had a players only meeting and again, it kind of boiled over, um, with us in the locker room and, uh, guys going back and forth and, you know, saying, hey, you don't pass the ball enough, or you don't do this, or this is why we're losing, or all that kind of stuff, and um, in the end, it got to a point where we just kind of, we were like, all right, this has got to stop, we got to throw all this out, and we just got to be different moving forward, and we talked about, you know, the things that we needed to do differently, and stuff to be successful, and I think at that point, you know, we ended up winning, I think, 24 in a row, including the national championship that year, so. Uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, a team meeting where things boil over is always the right thing. But uh, for that group of guys, uh, it was something that needed to happen at the time. So, uh, you know, I think early, I think it was early to mid-December when that happened. And that, that really changed our season and changed, you know, our mindsets moving forward, too. So uh, that was kind of the point where we all recognized, like, you know, hey, this could be special if we just all buy into this. And we did. Uh, and it ended up being special in the end for sure. Well,
1: it's, it sounds like it was perhaps the most successful players-only meeting in the history of basketball. There's always two <laughs> of those that you, you never wonder. I've been a part of those. You never really wonder what gets done. So, But you guys make the national championship game defeating Mary Harden Baylor in Atlanta. Just what was the whole experience like to compete in a national championship game?
2: Um, it was pretty special. I mean, any any national championship game is going to be really special. I think for us, we were fortunate. Uh, supposed to happen again this year, but then all this uh, coronavirus stuff's going on. But yeah. uh, it was the first and only time uh, so far that it's been held with the D one and D two national championships. Um, it was in Atlanta, like you said, and it was a pretty pretty special experience. You know, from the moment that you know we got off the plane in Atlanta, you know, we had police escorts everywhere. We were we were treated like Division one. Uh, the, the four division one teams that were there. And, um, so that part made it even, even more special for us was to, to get that treatment and to play in, you know, the Hawks arena down there. And, um, all that was, was really cool. And then the game itself, obviously, um, was pretty special and, uh, we played really well and, um, obviously came out, came out with the win. So, um, it was a pretty, pretty unbelievable weekend for us down in Atlanta and, um, something that, you know, none of us will ever forget or
1: take for granted that, that we had that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I, the the game is still on Synergy, Coach. I watched it in, in <laughs> preparation for this, and and you hit the first three and, and got the whole, at the time, Lord Jeff's fan base going, and I'm sure it was a really special moment, and your teammate Willie Workman had a great game too. So yeah. yeah. So after your junior season, you're named Conference Player of the Year, a first-team All-American, and the NABC Division Three National Player of the Year. What do those accolades mean to you as a player and to you personally at that point in your life?
2: Um, at that point, I think you know accolades are always great and cool uh, to receive and stuff. At that point, you know I don't think it meant a whole lot to me. I didn't get the time; it was you know all in on winning the national championship and not worrying about anything else. Um, I think you know later on when when I was looking to to continue my playing career after college, I think I looked back on those accolades and recognize that those helped me, um, quite a bit, but at the time it was kind of just, you know, these are cool, but we just won a national championship. And that was all (laughs) that was kind of going through my mind. So, um, you know, I think at the time it didn't mean a whole lot, but then later on, I recognized that, you know, those accolades helped me in the end, uh, of uh, continue playing and fulfill a dream of playing overseas
1: yeah for sure so so for a lot of students at a school like amherst uh they pursue various types of internships for the summer between their junior and senior years did you have any internship experience or was a professional basketball career always your main focus
2: um both uh, i think my main focus was always playing professionally uh, that that had kind of been a dream of mine for for my whole life um but at the same time, I knew that, you know, that wasn't guaranteed. So I did do a, an internship was uh, with a financial firm just to test those waters out. And that wasn't really, I re- realized that wasn't really for me. Um, and I think that just kind of made me really go all in on the basketball side of things. And, um, you know, when I started to recognize that that wasn't what, you know, the financial um, stuff wasn't what I wanted to get into, you um, I really bought into you know working as hard as I could to possibly play afterwards because you know my love was playing basketball yeah and, uh, that's what I wanted to continue to do
1: yeah for sure so I'm someone who just went through my own senior basketball season and a lot of leadership responsibilities naturally fall on the seniors for myself it was definitely a shock at first to be one of the guys the underclassmen suddenly were looking to for advice on classes workouts or anything else Wesleyan wise. As I still felt like I was still figuring things out for myself every single day. Uh, did you have a similar moment at Amherst where it kind of hit you uh, that you were that senior leader for for the team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I recognized that when you know my sophomore and junior year, I used our you know our upperclassmen and our seniors. Um, for advice, just like you said on classes or you know social things that went on or any of that stuff. Um, I think at that point I rec- I started to recognize that look, like this is gonna be me in a year or two that you know uh, the freshman and sophomores are gonna be looking to me for advice and um, having questions about you know everything, college life at Amherst. So um, I started to recognize that through you know the seniors and the people the guys that I looked up to when I was an underclassman. Um, and then you know, like you said, think at a place like Amherst or a place like Wesleyan you know those leadership roles are a little different than most places because of the type of school and the type of place that you're at um you know you're going to be looked at just as much for you know academic advice or what professors to take or what professors to avoid versus you know at a lot of places you know you're you're a senior captain you know if you're looking at big time d1 school or something like that you know it's almost all basketball wise so um I think the the fact, you know, of being at a place like Amherst or Wesley, and you're looked at for different types of advice than a lot of a lot of senior athletes around the country. So um, I think that makes it unique and different and special um, to be in that type of leadership role.
1: Yeah, for sure. My roommate and senior teammate, Jack Alberding, would be giving some of the sophomores different advice on different Banks that they wanted to apply to. You know, what was the difference between <laughs> Goldman or JP Morgan? So that when we're yeah. sitting around the dining room, That was like, wow, we're, we're in a really weird spot. <laughs> so you had an unbelievable senior year. Amherst makes it back to the Final Four. You win Conference Player of the Year again, make the first team All American again, and earn the D3 Hoops National Player of the Year award. While that season was going on, were you aware of the history that you were making and the place you were cementing for yourself in NESCAC basketball history?
2: Um, no, Uh, again, I was, I was kind of very focused on the group that we had and, um, we had a unique group that year. We had probably a group of, you know, you know, a couple injuries, but towards the end of the year we were playing six and a half guys, maybe a seventh guy, depending on the foul trouble or the type of game it was. So, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of energy and effort got put into what can I do to figure out how to be good with six and a half guys uh, that played in the rotation. So um, you know, the three backcourt guys, we averaged probably over thirty seven and thirty eight minutes a oh, game. Wow. We were, you know, we were playing if we could, if we weren't in foul trouble forty minutes a game. So um I think there was very little time for me to t- kind of take a step back <laughs> and think of the accolades or think of, you know, um some of, the, some of the records that were, were coming up uh, for me. But uh, in the end, you know, people, just as it is in the world, you know, people make you aware as you're going. So uh, there were people on campus, uh, friend circles from home, Oh, family, friends, whatever it was that were, you know, you get a text saying you're this many points away from that or whatever. Um, so I was kinda made aware, uh, through other people, but in the end, like I said, for, for my junior year it was more of just like, How can I possibly do more to help this team uh right now and then, you know, later on the accolades ended up meaning a lot more than they did at the time.
1: Right. Yeah, there's always that one kid in every class who will look at you and be like, "You're only 10 away from 1,000?" or <laughs>
2: uh,
1: So you ended up graduating in May of 2014. What is the process like of trying to continue playing basketball professionally coming from the D1 level? You know, if it was now, I, you know, clutch sports goes and talks to all the D1 guys, but, but what's it like coming from the D3 level?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, and it's uh, certainly more difficult to get your name out there and um, to be to be known. Um, and that's kind of where where the accolades for me came back to be very helpful um, was to be able to throw a, a resume together that you know national player of the year twice and that's that player of the year and all that kind of stuff that you know at the time didn't mean anything to me. Uh, came back and I, I started to be. Pretty, pretty glad that those things happened for me, and um, it allowed me to get my name out there a little more, and allowed me to sign with a good, good agent, and um, allowed me to go play in certain uh, showcases over, over in Europe. So mm-hmm. um, those, those accolades ended up meaning a lot more than I ever thought they would um, in that process of con- trying to continue to play. So um, that, that helped, and then you know, playing in a couple showcases just allowed me to get out there and be seen um, which helped a lot. And then in the end got me, uh, the contract offer that I, that I ended up accepting, uh, to play in Spain.
1: Yeah. So that team in Spain ends up offering you a contract, you sign, you go over there. What were some of the culture shocks of living in a new country?
2: Um, I think culture shock number one was going to my first practice. Um, and coach didn't speak English.
0: Um
2: and I didn't really speak Spanish. Um so that was culture shock number 1 was like all right, how is this going to work out cuz I can't understand anything you're saying. I can't communicate with you. I'm the point guard on the team like from my experience communication between the point guard and the coach is pretty yeah. important. So <laughs> there's a lot of lot there that I was, you know, unsure of how it would all work out and as, as you know, it came to second practice and they had a translator there. there so, we go. um, thankfully they fixed that pretty quickly. And, um, obviously I, I think for, for anybody, you know, when you're 20, well, 22 years old, you know, you go to a different country and you're living by yourself and, trying to trying to take care of yourself in an apartment, make food, and all that kind of stuff in a country that you don't speak that language was right. um, an adjustment for sure. But there were was, was some other guys on the team that, you know, did speak English. And, um, you know, I was there on, a, I was on the third team, in, uh, uh, third division in Spain, and our, our team, an organization, had a first league team, too, uh, that was based out of the same location. So um, there was two Americans on the first team, one being a D3 guy, Andy Panko. Oh, wow. Um, and then... Uh, jimmy Barron from rhode island um we're both on that first team so i got to know them pretty well and um they helped me adjust uh, as much as possible to to the culture and to the lifestyle over there
1: yeah that's awesome so but so sadly your career over there was cut short by a serious head injury as someone who's had tremendous success on the court what was it like to be told your professional career was over due to medical reasons
2: uh devastating um because i think the biggest thing for me was you know i was just getting used to and comfortable playing you know a different style of basketball and um starting to fit in well i thought with the team and our team was starting to play well um so just when when all that seemed everything seemed to be going right on the court um you know in practice you take an elbow to the head and. Um, and that's it. Uh so it was it was pretty devastating and I think at that point, you know, I had made up my mind like, Hey, I'm gonna play as long as I can. Right. Um, and then figure out the next step of life when that comes, however many years later that would be and then, you know, years ended up turning into days later and um, you know, it's a it's a kind of a shock to, to anybody there that, you know, for me certainly it was a shock that, hey, you're not gonna play anymore. So, I'm uh, trying to come to, to to terms with that and everything and you know just to make things tougher you know I had emergency surgery and couldn't travel for 30 days so, yeah you know I was still in Spain and I was you know in Spain not playing couldn't do anything so um, you know that I don't think that helped the transition of uh, you know moving on from playing so uh, it was it was tough for me but um, you know looking back on it a lot of people to to thank out there for helping me get through it but ended up in a a very good place here at Amherst now.
1: Yeah so as you mentioned you weren't able to travel for 30 days but once you returned to the States you joined the Amherst coaching staff as an assistant midway through the 2014-2015 season. What went into the decision to return to your alma mater and coach?
2: Um, Well the first day I got back to the States um, you know the first call I got was from Coach Hickson. Um, you and, and I obviously were really close from the full years that I played for him, and um, you know, and I would think we had a, a pretty awesome relationship as a player and coach. And um, he knew that uh, I probably wanted to get into coaching after I was done playing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he knew the situation I was, you know, struggling in a lot of ways. But yeah, um, he called me and said, "Hey, like, take your time. I know I don't want to rush into anything, but you know, when you feel comfortable traveling and." all that kind of stuff I'd love for you to come and join our staff up here um and at first I was like oh thanks coach like I don't know what my plan is here but um you know I was home in North Carolina and you know back and forth with my mom and my dad trying to figure out what to do next and um at first I was like I can't travel right now I can't leave I can't live on my own right now because of everything I was going through but in the end it was a talk with my dad that you know I basically came to terms of you know I wanted to get into coaching afterwards. So, you know, what better opportunity is there to to go somewhere I'm really comfortable and feel at home and all that kind of stuff at Amherst. So, uh, in the end it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up and, um, forever grateful and thankful to coach Jackson for, you know, extending that offer. And, you know, it's crazy where it's, where it's led here in five plus years. Um, now being the interim here this year was pretty special. So, um, in the end it was, you know, the best thing that, I could have done or best thing that could have happened to me at the time but it was certainly hard saying hey I'm gonna leave my family and try to go back to you know living on my own <laughs> um, going through a lot of different stuff uh yeah at the time so uh, it was difficult but in the end you know nothing better could have happened to me than to get that call from coach Hickson
1: yeah so take me back to those first couple seasons as an assistant what's it like to coach guys that you may have played with and are also not that far off from your own age
2: yeah. First, it was a challenge for sure. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a group that I was really close to, obviously have played with all of them the year before. Um, and you know, just being, you know, a college kid, you know, what happened on, you know, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights and what yeah. they were doing and, um, because you were just there doing it with them. Um, <laughs> but you know, to, to kind of flip that switch is, is a little difficult. Um, But I think, you know, right away, the guys were great with me in terms of, you know, on the court stuff. They had a lot of respect for what I said. There was no like, oh, you just, you're you're my son, you're not my coach, I'm not going to listen. There there was none of that, um, which made the transition a lot easier. And, um, you know, I think it's not easy going from, you know, being boys with these guys and (laughs) hanging out with them all day to to being their coach. But, um, you know, they did. Did a great job of accepting me as a coach, and uh, the transition was as smooth as I could have hoped for.
1: Yeah. So, as you mentioned, your college coach, Dave Hickson, is a legend at the Division three level, coaching at Amherst for the last, before before this season, 42 seasons. He announced he was taking a sabbatical this past fall and would not coach the 2019-2020 season, season. What did it mean for you to be told that you were being handed the reins of the Amherst program? And did you feel any added pressure as the team was ranked fourth in the D3 Hoops preseason top 25 poll?
2: Um, it was pretty special um, to, to have that conversation with Coach Ekson. And for him to have that, you know, you know, Amherst basketball is kind of his, his baby and what he's built. And, um, for him to have that trust in me meant a lot because uh, he wouldn't, I know Coach Hickson, he wouldn't just hand, hand it over to someone that he didn't have uh, a lot of faith in um so so to have him say that to me meant a lot and um you know coming in obviously you know the expectations were high and uh that was very much expected for me that's what you get at a place like Amherst you know the success that coach has had and uh the runs that we've been on so um I knew the expectations were going to be high and um you know I don't think that added any more pressure I think that was that's just kind of what you get at a place like Amherst but um it was, it was interesting, you know, for me it was very, very different, and for the guys it was very different, you know, sign up to play for Amherst, you sign up to play for Coach Hickson for four years, yeah. or at least that's what they did, so um, it was, you know, the initial moment when Coach told them um, all in September, it was, you know, shock, and that's very understanding, and I, I certainly was kind of, you know, with them, obviously, I knew before he told the team. But you know, it was it was shock for everybody that he was making this decision and doing this. So um, you know, it was interesting at first, but the guys bought in, and the guys were great with me. Um, you know, I couldn't have asked a better group of 17 guys to work with this year. And um, they completely bought into you know some of the changes that I made, and you know my number one goal and the whole thing was not try to be not do my best to not try to be like coach hickson and right. uh, just be myself and um, you know if i was trying to emulate things that he did then you know i don't think that would be fair to anybody so uh to be myself which i thought you know for the most part i did a good job of and the guys bought into so um all in all it was a pretty pretty special year for us obviously we would have like some of the results to go differently but um pretty special here for me individually but uh, I think for this group of guys too it was it was different but to get through a year you know the first year that Coach Hickson hasn't coached here in 22 years um you know to get through that and uh, to have a lot of positive things happen this year I thought it was, was pretty cool.
1: Yeah so I know from my own experience I'm sure you do too playing wise you're your interactions with the assistants versus the head coach is uh is very different. So, did yep. the sudden transition from being the assistant to the head coach force you to interact with the players on the team differently?
2: Um. Yes, uh, I think you know it's just natural to say yes to that because you have to interact a little differently with the head coach. Um, you know, there's conversations that you know aren't made for assistant coaches that head coaches have to have, and you know some of those things happened this year for us and. You know, not always – some of them are great conversations, some of them not so much, but conversations that need to be had for for the sake of the team. Um, So to have those – have to have those conversations was a little different for me. Um, But I think in the end, you know, my goal going into the whole thing was, like, I don't want to change. Like, who I was as an assistant is who I am. Right. Um, So I don't want to completely – obviously – they're going to look at me a little bit differently and have those different types of conversations with me. But, um, you know, on a day to day, you know, when I walk into the gym and I see them, you know, how I, how I interact with them and how I, you know, say what's up to them. Like none of that stuff changed for me. Um, I still wanted to be that guy that they felt really comfortable around, um, you know, being a young, very young head coach, you know, I want to be that guy that, you know, they feel comfortable interacting with and the more comfortable that they they felt with me that, that those tough conversations, the easier those became, uh, because we could, you know, we could talk about anything. Um, so I think that was one of the things that you know was was a plus for me and a benef- was beneficial for me was you know having been the assistant coach for all these guys and to have built those types of relationships where you know we felt comfortable having those talks and all that kind of stuff. I thought was very beneficial for me.
1: Yeah, for sure. So in your first season, you guys went – 18 games, including a blowout win over my Wesleyan Cardinals at, at your place, and you guys uh, felt seemingly just short of the NCAA tournament after Coast Guard's stunning run to win their conference championship. You kind of mentioned it before about uh, not trying to be Coach Hickson, but how did you go about putting your own fingerprints on this team that, as you said, for the last 42 years has was led by the same voice?
2: Yeah, um, you know, there was there was things that, you know, the last five years or so as an assistant that I always wanted to try or uh, do a little bit differently, whether it was, you know, offensive plays or, you know, this year we threw in, you know, kind of a zone for the first time and forever, and we didn't have yeah. a ton, but it was, you know, something that we could use to, to mix things up, and um, so there were, there were small differences that, you know, I'd been wanting to try for a while that, you know, I obviously had the opportunity to try this year. Um, but then, you know, overall, you know, I played four years for Coach Hicks and I coached with him for five years. So a lot of what I, you know, know basketball wise is from him. So, you know, I didn't think the, the, you know, the style of play or anything like that changed drastically. It was just some, some small things within it that, you know, I wanted to tweak and try a little differently, you know, um, so, you know, it was fun for me to be able to, to try some different things and do some things differently, but, you know, in the end, you know, style play-wise and, you know, who Amherst basketball is, you know, that didn't change a whole lot this year, I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, including uh, a lot of wins, so, Coach, I know that, uh, running a little bit of time, so i got five rapid-fire questions to end the podcast. Ready? Let's do it. So, number one, North Carolina is known for its great college basketball. Do you have an allegiance to any of the great college programs down there?
2: NC State. Um, I, my whole mom's side of the family went to NC State. I grew up going to NC State basketball and football games. I'm still a huge NC State fan, so um, big-time Wolfpack guy. I uh, would go. much rather, you know, very much prefer, you know, the Blue Devils and the, the Tar Heels to not win games, which is, you know, you don't get that. But this year, this yeah. year, thankfully, Carolina lost quite a few.
1: Yeah, they are last in the ACC. It was unbelievable. So, <laughs> Crazy. So your time at Amherst as a player, who was the best guy you went up against?
2: Um, you know, I think it's probably Duncan Robinson. Uh, you know, we played him four times my senior year. He was a freshman. I was a senior. Yeah. Um, We played him four times. And so we got to see quite a bit of him before he became, you know, big time (laughs) and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you could tell at that moment, you know, when we were playing against him his freshman year, that he was, you know, a different level kid and, um, could play, could play at a high level. So I think everyone's a little surprised that quite, uh, how successful he's been um, he probably wouldn't be that surprised because he worked worked really hard to get there but um, you know I'll go with Duncan Robinson for that one.
1: Duncan Robinson friend of the podcast always good to shout him out so how has the NAS? how has the NESCAC or the D3 game changed since you were a player? Um,
2: I think it's changed just like basketball's changed in general um, you know I think the way that teams play I mean when I was playing there was a lot of too big stuff and um, you know, some teams had already transitioned to, to the four out, um, kind of running gun style, but, um, you know, I think that's the biggest change is just the style of play. And you got, you know, you, every team you play is going to have four, or five, six different guys that can really shoot it. Right. Um, so trying to figure out ways to, to defend the three point line and, um, you know not just for one or two guys but for for everybody that's out there that's not playing inside is and even guys that do play inside you know step out and shoot it now so um, a lot of different different uh, kind of styles of play and uh, a lot of a lot more perimeter shooting than there used to be
1: for sure I've definitely noticed that in the last couple of years so I don't know if this is possible for you coach but in just three words can you describe the Amherst Williams rivalry
2: Whew. um Intense, fun, and competitive. Um, I'll stay with those three.
1: Great words. So last question before we wrap it up. What was one challenge of being a head coach from the most macro to the smallest of things that you didn't anticipate?
2: Um, I think, you know, the basketball piece of things was um, the easiest transition for me because um, I feel comfortable, you know, X's and O's, and everything on the court I feel comfortable with. And uh, I think I wasn't quite, you know, I knew there was much more administrative stuff and meetings and all that kind of stuff that had to be done behind right. the scenes uh, when I was an assistant. But and I was a little bit surprised by how much of that stuff goes on. Certainly at a, at a NESCAC school, you're going to get a lot of that stuff, um, you know, dealing with everything, you know, especially, you know, the classroom, making sure all your guys are going to class, doing well. <laughs> all that kind of stuff, you know, is, you know, you got to stay on top of all that. So uh, I think that was the biggest thing for me was just recognizing, you know, how much stuff goes on behind the scenes and outside of basketball.
1: Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. know a lot of great things are coming for you in your coaching future, Uh, but I really appreciate the time and uh, stay safe out there. And do you have any final words for the great people of Amherst, Massachusetts?
2: (laughs) Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me, David. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it was fun here, and uh, you know, for the people of Amherst, uh, hopefully everyone just stays safe through all this. Who know when we're going to be able to to get back out and see everybody and uh, get back to the Amherst community that you know we are. But uh, for now, everyone out there needs to stay safe and do what we're do what we hear uh, we need to be doing to to keep this from spreading as much as possible. But um, I'm excited to to get back to the point where you know we have that Amherst community again. Students are back on campus. all that kind of stuff whenever that is uh excited to get back to that point
0: that'll do it for this episode of the double double we will be back next week with another interview with a division three coach that i think uh i think you guys will really enjoy so uh if you enjoyed this podcast or the one on monday with coach kevin app from williams college You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at dbl underscore dbl podcast. So everyone uh, stay safe out there. Take care and make it a great day.